לשידור ישיר ממחנה רמה בברקשיירס. room because uh, the offices the construction is still going on but there was air conditioning in this room and my office is is sweltering so I moved I moved Very cool. Room. well context is everything and location is everything and that's where we're going to go because we are located in Cholamoid Sukkot and we have coming up Shabbat Cholamoid Sukkot and the, I'm gonna I'm gonna just put out the the, the most Interesting feature of Shabbat Cholamoid is the custom of reading the book of Kohelet. Um, can you give me your favorite line in the book of Kohelet? Or give me a piece, drop some wisdom here. A living dog is better than a dead lion. Okay. I guess it depends whether you're the dog or the lion. <laughs> do you have a favorite? Well, why do you like that, Jeremy? Um, I, I actually, when I was younger, I used to love Kohelet. I thought he was snarky and um, and and just so contrary and I used to find that really attractive and of course in some ways I still do there's a lot of humor in this book um, but uh, in the end I, I, I no longer feel quite as uh, I no longer relate quite as much to his like nasty edge um, a little bit like that, that that I mean I like that line because I think it's kind of funny you know Um, uh, you know, the, the, whatever the, the dead flies and the perfumer's ointment and stuff like that. Um, and life is so hard and life is, is, is such a waste and like, you know, there's a lot of wisdom in the book, but, um, in the end of the day, I think that there's some, some despair in ways that doesn't really sit right with me. It's, it's got the, the, the anguish of the human condition. I think, but there's so much more there. So if you would ask me for my favorite line today, I would say all rivers run to the sea, which was the phrase that Elie Wiesel Zal used for one of his memoirs. Yes. And when I hear that line, I think of the rush of the ocean with the waves crashing in and you look out and you realize that that's where the water is going. Yeah. And it's an endless cycle, and one can feel really small and be depressed, or one can feel enlarged because there's a kind of oneness with nature. And I think, you know, it, what I find interesting, many, many years ago in Hebrew school, it first came across the idea, you know, traditionally Solomon wrote Tohelet along 
with Mishle and Shira Shirim. So as a young man, he wrote Shira Shirim. He was a romantic. He went to school, he wrote Mishle. And then as an old man, he was cynical and he wrote Kohelet. But I think that as I move into the autumn of my life, I suppose, that I don't feel cynical. I feel restored in a certain way. You know, I've lived as long as I've lived. And um, I, I feel good about it. You know, certainly I can't do things I could have done 30, 40 years ago. On the other hand, I know so much more about myself, about the world, about God, perhaps. So I, th I see it as being restorative, and it's important at this time of year. I, I, I love the chap chap third chapter. Just uh, that's my go-to chapter when... Ever I need a, a, a piece of wisdom, there's a time for everything under the sun. There's, how does it go? A season for everything and a time for every experience under heaven. I don't know how many funerals I've started off with that text. And, and um, it's the go-to text for understanding that life has seasons. That you go through seasons in your life and right. that there are, I mean as you describe you know so beautifully barry you know you i don't want to say you're in the autumn of your years that's frank sinatra that's so great you know uh but uh frank understood that he he totally understood this well, he was a new jersey boy he was a new jersey boy as uh, you became once you immigrated <laughs> i'm in the autumn of my years but I just wanted to add, in addition to the seasons in that passage, there's also a rhythm. And I think that there's a music here that we sense. You know, the the medievals talked about the music of the spheres. And um, there's a little bit of that. And, you know, part of that text was made into a song. Indeed, indeed. And it just it just works. For everything, it works. I, I, I can't tell you again. It's the, I think it's the the wisest thing that anybody has ever said, is that there's a time for everything under the sun. Oh, it, it is. It's certainly true. There is a time for everything, and I also, I especially use use that around funerals at uh, eight Likroa. There's a time for ripping, um, but you know, Kohelet. So it alternates. I mean, this is the reason that the book is so. Um, rich for interpreting because on the one hand he says you know life is just totally stupid god twisted it up and and you know nobody can nobody can can fix what what god has already twisted and you know everything is and uh and the more wise you are the angrier you get at how terrible and unfair things are and so sometimes when he says those lovely things about so enjoy life with a spouse and, and have the sunshine as long as you can. Sometimes people can interpret it as, listen, life is really hard. So try to, to grab hold of those moments of light that you can enjoy. And, and that gives it for proper perspective. And sometimes people think that it means that he's just taunting you, which is like, so you may as well go get drunk because this is just stupid. Um, and and inyan ra. Uh, the, the, the God gave an inyan ra adam both gave us something really bad to have to deal with. And when I was younger, I used to think that that was like. And so I think, by the way, in the in the midrash that Barry said about the the, the middle aged Mishle and the old Kohelet, 
Uh, I would go with actually the snarky teenager as Kohalat. Um, you know, oh, this is all so stupid. Could, could you know, wasn't wasn't there in the in the that sketch show that we yeah. watched? Uh, what was that called? Yehudim uh, Bayim. That they had they had Shlomo as 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 Kohalat as this like depressed teenager, yeah. and and I, I would like to ultimately leave behind. You know, when, when Barry said, you know, the, all the rivers run to the sea, which is true. But it doesn't make a damn bit of difference. And everything is wearisome. I would like to move ultimately beyond that. But the way it works in the calendar, I think, is, and this part I do like, is that Sukkot is, is, is a little bittersweet. Sukkot is a celebration. And as, as autumn comes on, you know, you feel a little bit of death and Kohelet sort of uh, captures that sense of vulnerability and uh, and mortality in a in a way that is part of the entire Sukkot vibe, I think. Okay, so I wanted to add one thing. So you were talking, Jeremy, about twisting, and I don't know if I have the words right, but there's the line "Chut Mishulash Lo So sometimes something that's twisted has a positive value, and I think what we see sometimes in Kohelet is that the reason why everything has a season is because. We look at it one way, we see something, and sometime later we see something entirely different, even the opposite. And we realize that life embraces both. That it, you know, it's not an either or; it's a both. So, so speaking of seasons, and and the fact that we are wistful at this time, the autumn of the year, and of course, it's 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 much more pronounced here in the in North America, uh, where we we are feeling. Although I have to say, even even you know, we're, we're, we haven't yet got that that little crispness yet. It's 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 still quite hot and still quite humid. But moving into Hoshana Rabbah, which we are celebrating on Monday, which is part of the seasonal trope of the holiday, Hoshana Rabbah is defined by the 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 ritual in the temple and the synagogue of making seven circuits around the the Sifri Torah, all the Sifri Torah. Um, walking with your lulav and etrog and saying Hoshana, these these hymns um, that are quite complicated, quite uh, tongue twisting, um, and difficult. But um, I, maybe you have what's your what's your relationship to Hoshana, Robert? Do you have an experience? Do you have an emotional valence to it? I have what I, I I love the day, but go ahead. So tell us. I love the day. I you think go first. Like, well, I want to go first. Okay, so. I, I, I typically lead the davening on that day, uh, and um, it's it's a long marathon. And um, and you do all the changes. I do all the changes, and I do all the the the, the chants and everything. And um, I get to that the the last hakafa, you know, Laman Bae Baesh Hoshana. You know, I it's it gets very emotional. It's it's um, I you say this all the time in the in, in our little talks here, but we put it all out there, and and Hoshana is really about putting it all out on the bima. Um, it's it's a catharsis um, when it works. Uh, I remember doing it at the seminary. I remember I remember uh, leading Hoshana as a student, um, and we we got so into it, and it was very vibrant, and it was very exciting. Uh, there's something very primal about it. There's something, especially when you smack the the willows at the end. I mean, it doesn't get 
much more physical in in the synagogue than smacking a bunch of willow branches on the on the floor and and you know having that kind of moment where it's it's all left there and it literally is all left there so you make some really wonderful points because Hoshana Rabbah is a day of Chol. It's a secular lay day, so to speak, but it embraces the holiday. The Chazan traditionally wears a kittel, which evokes both Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur and the Pesach Seder. The liturgy encompasses both Shabbat and holidays and the, the weekday service. And it's not a holiday, but yet it has all the holidays within it. Yeah. And you know, when we think of this time of year, we think of all the Jewish holidays, and Oshana Rabbah is like a near miss. It's not quite a holiday, but in a sense, it's everything. It's a quasi-yantiv, and of course it's the, you know, it's the end of the whole uh, re- repentance atonement, you know, moment. You stop saying David on that day, some people go to Shemini Yatzeret, even with that, but um, it puts a coda, it puts a bracket on the whole season. And and I think we are aware of that. I think part of why it is so powerful, it's a boundary moment. It's a boundary day. Uh, so that leads to that great midrash about Shemini Yatzeret. Yeah. So, well, but, but before we, uh, before the, Hoshan Rabbah, just, I, I also like it a lot. But I think that for me, part of it is um, the, uh, the messianic, you know, part of it. That this is this moment, the kol mevaser mevaser v'yomer, the 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 uh, um, the sense that semach shmo hu David beatzmo. There is this person who's just waiting at the door after this long uh, this long day and this long incredibly long morning and the holiday season. It has led you someplace that is uh, uh, kind of redemptive and to me that capstone of those of you who are lying in the dust abraham isaac and jacob wake up here's the moment and of course the mashiach has not yet arrived as far as i'm told maybe but uh i i, I feel like the the Hoshana Rabbah and the physical weirdness, uh, the cathartic quality to the action of beating out the willows, and that that messianic theme really, I just find a tremendous sense of uplift. So we move then into Shemini Atzeret, which is the the day that we just kind of just stay a little bit longer. We're going to linger on with God uh, and stay on this eighth day. Uh, and that's the midrash that you were referring to, Barry, right? That, that yeah, that the seventy sacrifices on Sukkot represent the nations of the world, and then Shemini Atzeret is just for the Jews and God. And there is there is a an intimacy here, of course. Layered onto that is the whole story, at least for the diaspora, the story of the temple, the Solomon Temple dedication, chapter eight of Kings, first book of Kings, which uh, really one of the the great stories, the great you know dramas the final arrival of the the temple the depositing of the ark in the temple and solomon's great prayer and there's there's just so much going on in that moment with um with solomon 
And, and it's not an accident that some of the verses from that prayer that Solomon recites, some of those verses are included in the Hoshanot, you know, may my words be close to God. And it's such a, a very powerful, and it's also Moshe, I find, I, I find in the synagogue, Shmini the Yiskar Shmini is a, is just slightly different than all the other Yiskars, even, even Yom Kippur. And, and I think the reason is because this is it. This is the end of the whole season. And we're not only saying goodbye to, you know, we're not only remembering people, but we're remembering, you know, this is a moment in our lives. This is back to Kohelet. You know, there's a time for everything that we are watching our seasons uh, transpire in our lives. And that's what Shemini Yatserah does. And, and I think it's a great lead-in to Simchas Torah for us. And here, you know, we I, I say it's a bonus to be in the diaspora because we separate these two days, Shemini Yatserah and Simchas Torah. They have two different modes and two different uh, emotional valences. In Israel, it's all one day. Um, and I think that must that's a long day. It's a it long is, day. It is the longest damn day in the world. <laughs> they're missing. They're missing out on something uh, by not splitting up the days. But um, let's go to Simchas Torah because um, there's a lot to talk about there in terms of content. You know, we get that we get the the fact that we we do you know seven days we circuit the the synagogue and that we we. We walk around the Torahs, and now on the on Simchas Torah, the Torahs walk around with us. Very, very nice. And we sing, and we dance, and we're celebrating the completion of the Torah. But when it comes down to it, that last parsha is what a bracha. I you want to just kind of sit on sackcloth and cry a little bit. It's 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 it's, it's dark. It's sad. It's it's the end. And one of the things that is sad about this is that certain things reach their resolution, but they linger with questions. God doesn't let Moses into the land. And God says, you can see the land, but you can't go in there. And we get that very poignant scene where God says to Moses, go, you know, uh, look up uh, uh, and and see the whole land. What does it say? Vayal Moshe, Mi'arvot Morav al Harnavo, goes up to Harnavo. Um, and God says, Zotar, it's Asher Nishpati. This is the land. The last words that God says to Moses, you're not going there. And and how how do you, I mean, that's the last recorded words in the Torah. Okay. I mean, what do you make of that? This, this is there, Are those the parting words or something else going on? Well, so it's interesting because it says that Moses will die al pi Adonai at the mouth of God, which the rabbis understand to be the kiss of death, mirroring or actually the opposite of the breathing in life in the creation story in chapter two of Reshit. In the sense, God is now taking the life out of Moses, literally. And from God's point of view, that's inspiration. But it's a breath in. And I think that what we come to understand with the death of Moses is that Moses dies for everyone. That, In other words, we get to the mountaintop, but we never cross over. And what carries us forward, I think, is our faith that there is a promised land. And when we come to meet God at the end, all we have is our faith. 
because we have no assurance other than faith that there is a next chapter. And, I, offer, uh, I want to offer a, a, another interpretation, which is that um, Adonai, he dies as God said. And so what did God say? God said to him, die, umut. Back in Hazino, which we read last week, God said, you shall die there. And so Moses goes up and he dies there. And I, I find it very puzzling that, that Moses actually dies. If, if I read it correctly, he's dying of his own volition here. He's, he, God says die, he said he dies. As okay. if to say that he follows the mitzvot right to the end, even if it costs him his life. And that becomes a model of a certain kind of spirituality. I don't know, picked up by Rabbi Kiva, picked up by some somewhere in Judaism. We, we, do, we do follow the mitzvot even at the point of our lives. Right, but I think it's better to say, perhaps, that he doesn't die of his own volition. He dies of God's volition. That God wills him to die. Because the description of Moses at the end He's 120. Right. He's the acme of a lived life in the Torah, going back to uh, Sefer Breshi, where the 120 is first introduced. And he is undimmed vision and no uh, lack of his physical strength. So, so he's not ready to die physically. You're absolutely right. But and God then- takes him. He's, he's not ready to die, and, and, he, and the Midrash has him fighting tooth and nail to die. But right, but I want to just add one last point here, is that Moses' death is a partnership with God. Okay. I think that's what we aspire to. In other words, Moses does not die alone. He dies a piadonai. And I think, in a sense, that's what we all hope for, because there's a sense of comfort, in, at least for me, in that image. I want to just say that maybe, maybe he 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 wills himself to death. I, I have been around people who um, they they I don't want to say they choose the moment of their death, but it's it may not be so accidental that they die in a certain way at a certain time. You yeah. know, the last relative comes, the last child comes, and then the death happens. You know, shortly thereafter. Or you know, in in history, and here, Barry, you know, American history has has the death of of Thomas Jefferson and John Adams on the same day, fifty years after the Declaration of Independence. It's it's. What do you make of that? Did they choose to die on that day? Was it well, serendipity? Was it an accident? The great line is that Adams, who lived longer than Jefferson, by a couple of in hours, a different state. His last words were, "Jefferson still lives." Yes. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So this this is this is interesting, and and the fact that you, Elliot, the way you're saying this, it it, it has a certain nice resonance because God did say, you know, and you will die, and God also said at the beginning of the Torah that 120 years appears to be the limit, and so Moshe is perhaps in a moment of reconciliation with with that reality, and it, and of course it is true. We have seen lots of people. We've all seen in the rabbinate. We've seen people who make it to a special event or something like that, but. Um, the reason that I can't go there with you is, is the other overwhelming religious imperative is to choose life. And I cannot relate 
to the idea that even though we, we must accept our mortality, I can't relate to the divine imperative that we must, sometimes you have to love God, you know, at at you know, you'll still love God. So I, I that's true. That's true. But you can still love God, but you still have to love life. And so to me, it makes much more sense to say that the that the power of the the, the rabbinic midrash of Al Piadunai is is exactly as Barry alluded to. It's the inverse of the Vayipach Be'apav Nishmat Chaim at the very beginning of the Torah, and it's an acceptance by Moshe, but but not an active choice. That doesn't work for me. Okay, so so I I, I want to have my cake and eat it too. I agree with with both of you here in the sense that you know it it sounds absurd that Moses would do it, but. I would say, first of all, it's with well within the realm of human experience that people kind of shut down. Look, even Mr. Spock on Star Trek, the movie, when he dies, he kind of just shuts down, okay? Right? I think if I'm not getting this wrong, <laughs> the point is that, and, and maybe it's in other spiritual um, cultures where someone goes into the forest or, you know, someone meditates himself and, and, that's where the person dies. In other words, the person actively shuts down. And, and he has no choice but to do that because God says to him, I'm commanding you to do this. I don't so, want to do this, Moses is saying, but I'm, I, he's, he's, he's in the same place that Avram is. Avram doesn't want to sacrifice Isaac, but God told him to do that. And God relieves Avram by, by not forcing Avram to go through with it. And I would say here, both of you, you know, have the, the compelling interpretations that God has an assist here. Moses can't will himself to death by himself. God is the assist. God gets the assist. Al pi Hashem means he kisses him. Yeah, and and the rabbis go there because uh, the 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 interpretation that it's only at the command of God is untenable for them. I think it's just too emotionally complicated to say yeah moses moses was commanded moses you know it's like halachic man moses is commanded he does it he does it without thinking and that's that he he does exactly what he's commanded to do no questions it's it's just more it's got more pathos than that the rabbis fill that in so, so what do you make of the notion that we do not know where moses is buried so unlike a lot of other people in the bible it doesn't say of moses that he sleeps with his fathers because he has no grave. No, it says the the commandment is that you will be gathered to your fathers, and it, and then it says he has no grave. I, I that I think is the Torah's way of saying we didn't want Moses to be idolized. Yeah, absolutely. M Moses is, and and here I want to throw in another uh, another thing that we've discussed in the past, and that that given the nature of our you know. Seminary education is is part of uh, part of our our peckle that we come to to this with. Uh, Moshe has to die because the next book is Joshua and the conquest. And so one of the things that we have absorbed from you know our seminary education is that the Bible in formation may not have been a five book of Moses, but there may have been a six. And the historical books and Joshua's book is perhaps the the or six or seven or into the historical books 
um, is supposed to be the, the cap off of the Torah, but that's not what Jewish tradition gave us. Jewish tradition did not give us the book of the attainment of settlement in the promised land. By the nature of it stopping here, um, the Torah, the, the Judaism as we've inherited it, the Torah as we've inherited it, gives us a book of only journeying, never arriving, okay? And Moshe's death sends us back to the beginning for a new, a new, you know, in just a couple of weeks, we'll hear Abraham, he's coming to the land. Um, and what would it be different? How different would it have been if the Torah was a sixth cycle and we had that Moses did not die at the end, that Moses gave way at the end, gave way to the next heroic phase? So I think that what the, the Torah ending where it does is what makes Moshe the hero of the Torah and allows him to become Moshe Rabbeinu because he's all that's left at the end. It's his death, and then just note that no one like Moses ever arose again. And had the book continued, and had the story continued in the land, that would have diminished Moshe, because Moshe would not have been seen as the ultimate leader, because he would have had a follower who did what he was supposed to do. And now we don't have that in the Torah. And you know what I was thinking before, when we were talking before we started recording, is that we go back to Brashid and we read just enough so that there is absolutely no sense of discord, right? We have the perfect creation story, the six days plus Shabbat. And the story that's left out, which is the second creation story, according to modern critics, is where all the discord in the universe is going to happen with Adam and Eve in the garden and the snake. And so we go from this death of Moses to this perfect world of creation, which I think for us living each year as we do, is supposed to invite us to recreate the world each year. That's a great, I mean, it's a beautiful, beautiful interpretation. You know, the moving from, from the finality of, of Moses' death, right, back to the potential of, of starting the world and starting the universe. I, it's hard for me to to get too invested in that because I see in Simchas Torah, and that's where we're at. I see in Simchas Torah something profound about the Jewish people, and that the Jewish people is making its connection with Torah, and that Torah never ends, and that you go back to the beginning, and that that profound uh, message, which is lived out, you know, in in, in such concrete terms, you know that. The, the moment that you lift the Torah up at the end of Vizot Bracha and you place the new Torah down with Breshit, you know, and so there's that little gap, that little moment where you are not in a, you're not in the, in the book, but you know that you're starting over. And that is just so deeply symbolic of, of eternity. That, I, I think that's the, the most important moment in Jewish life. That and the end of, Called it the end of the end of Yom Kippur. No, the end of Yom Kippur. This, this one is a great moment, no question. The end but, of Yom Kippur, and I, I give it a story about it, so it's it's in my mind. So the moment you sit down to the seder. Okay. Yes, that's what I was going to say. Kiddush at the seder. Avadim ha'inu l'farbim mitzrayim. Adonai hu ha'elohim at the end of Yom Kippur, and and it's taking away the old Torah, bringing the new one. It's really no. Moments, these are the liminal moments. Those three moments all speak to us differently because Kol Nidre is individual, Pesach is the family, 
Simchat Torah is the community. Absolutely. This is the community of Torah. Whoever comes to our synagogue and celebrates Simchat Torah, that's our Torah community. It's also, but it's, we, the Torah community stands in for the whole people. You know, there's a, a, that's the claim we're making. We're, you know, we who are Sherita Plita, the people who are kind of remnant, the surviving remnant of the synagogue going community during, you know, the, 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 the COVID pandemic, you know, we, we, we are present in, in this lived space as ritual beings, our ritual selves are present as something very profound is happening that, you know, forgive me for saying, you just can't get, you know, on a screen. It's just not the same experience. It's, it's I, you know, I, I keep going back to this. It's, a, it's emotional. We, you know, we, we're living in different emotional chords at the end of the year. And, and we, we yeah. okay, so just to recap, we, we have this, this great Kohelet, you know, statement, the Hoshana Rabbah, the catharsis, Shmini Atzeret, the kind of completion. And here, joy, but the joy comes with all, with everything. That's why it's just, it's, so, Elliot, just to emphasize what you're saying, the last three days, so Shana Rabba, Shmini Asert, and Simchat Torah are synagogue holidays. They are synagogue holidays. Right? The Sukkah we have at home, but the celebration has to be also in the synagogue. Absolutely. I think you said that very well. But you know what's funny about what you, what you guys just said is that Simchat Torah does have, you know, its, its place in... Um, Jewish observance. Obviously, the, the what we said about the poetic quality of ending the Torah, beginning the Torah, very, very powerful stuff. But Simchat Torah as a day, it's certainly not, it doesn't play the same role in the synagogue-going Jewish community. Um, like you, you said, you know, this is this is the for the this is the Torah community, the synagogue-going Jewish community. You know, empirically speaking, I don't think that that's quite true. Um, it's usually a weekday, and not that many people, you know, perhaps take off, and um, and and the, the night before is certainly, you know, typically bigger. Whereas Yom Kippur, and I would say, very not Kol Nidre for me is not the moment. It's yeah. it's My Israel Adonai Hu Elohim, which this year we did we did outside, which was was great. The Shana Habav Yerushalayim, it was very intense. Um, and I like to think that, you know, in a, in a community of sophisticated New York Jews who, you know, never can say anything about, you know, well, this is about the God that I'm not sure I believe in. You know, at Adonai Hu Elohim, everybody is connected to a, uh, a moment of worship. Um, and Pesach being the high holiday of the home. It's like the Yom Kippur is the high holiday of the synagogue and Pesach, the high holiday of the home. Um, I'm not exactly sure. Simchat Torah, the way we talked about it, I sort of feel like is is more for those of us who are like Torah students rather than the ongoing like wider life of the community. No, I disagree with that. I'm sorry. I, I, it's not about students at all. I it's it's the pulse of the people. It's the people holiday, you, you, and the only way that the people celebrates its 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 life, its eternity is by identifying itself with the continuity of generations, the continuity of Torah. And so, and, and like, we don't study on that day. There's no studying going on on that day. I don't, I mean, it's not, you know, Shavuos is the, is the scholar, rabbi, study, student day. Fine. But this is like the breakout, the breakout into song, celebrate, you're alive. That's what it is. You're alive. You made it. It's the end. And look where, look at where we are. We're starting off a new year. It's all open to us. Look at, you know, 
And the joy is in potential. We're, you know, I, I, we celebrate the end. We're celebrating the end of a cycle. You know, all of us, the three of us, we, we've, we've been with our, our viewers, our listeners, um, and we shared Torah with them. And so now, you know, I'm looking forward to another year. I'm mean, I can't wait. It's, you know, we've been through so many different places and themes and wonderful stories and reminiscences and recollections, you know, that's, uh, yeah, bring it on. Same with Torah. Bring it on. <laughs> I think right. I'm going to go this year. I think you're going to go in person. Okay. Well, <laughs> with that, we want to wish you, I think that's, it's the real new year. Simchas Torah is the real new year. Starting Torah again. We can't wait to do that with everybody. We want to thank you all for watching, for being with us another year. Wow. What a great pleasure. What a great privilege it is to have been able to have these conversations and to share and to get your feedback and to enjoy that. We want to wish everyone a wonderful Yontiv, a wonderful Simplus Torah. Hey, we look forward to seeing you. Shabbos Bereshit.